0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. We got the whole gang here today. Uh, I'm joined by one of my two usual co-hosts, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on?
1: You know, it's it's Wednesday night, and Pat Narduzzi's a dick.
0: He is, and I'm joined by my other co-host who shares that sentiment, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going
2: on? Not only is Pat Narduzzi a dick, he's a dick who I'm pretty sure is... Conspicuously posting under some weird pseudonym on pit message boards. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you go onto like a
0: pit message board and you see like defense master like 2016, that's Pat Narduzzi. Uh And despite the fact that we would love to normally uh, speak ill of Pat Narduzzi in this manner, um, we're doing it for a reason this weekend. It's because Penn State plays pit. Uh, it is the 99th time that these two. Uh, programs have met uh they've met each of the last two years. They're going to meet next year in Happy Valley. 2016, Pitt beat Penn State in just an outstanding football game. Uh save for the score on what team won, 42 to 39. Following year came to Happy Valley, Penn State got its revenge, 33 to 14. This year, uh I am not I'm candidly I'm not 100% sure what to expect. This might just be jitters from last week, but uh, Pitts going into this game 1-0 after taking down Albany last weekend 33-7. Kenny Pickett, uh, their Heisman contender at quarterback. I'm touching my nose as I say that. 16 for 22, 154 yards. Two scores and a pick added a touchdown on the ground. Quadri Allison, who's been there uh, since the first Bush was president. Seven carries, 73 yards on the ground. Uh, Nick, I kind of want to start by... Uh, I think we're at a point where we can look back on the last time these two teams played in Pittsburgh. How does this game, in your eyes, kind of feel differently from the last time that Penn State went into Heinz Field?
1: Well, before I begin real quick, I'd, I'd just like to point out that I just saw a highlight from the Brewers-Cubs game, and Julius Chessin just tried to uh, throw 2 pickoff throws in a row over to first base, both of which Javi Baez was standing on the bag, so... Love Hobby bias. Love Hobby. Um, I don't I actually don't feel terribly different going into this game than I did going into the 2016 game. It's for slightly different reasons, but I it's kind of a familiar feeling for me. Both of those, both in 2016 and now, I feel a little bit uncertain. In 2016, it was because we didn't really know quite what we had on offense just yet. It was Joe Moorhead's second game at Penn State. The obviously the big offensive breakout didn't come until a few weeks later with the Minnesota game. And I'm, I, f- I still feel a little bit uncertain now. It's a little bit different right now. My uncertainties are more based around thinking about how the young players are going to respond to kind of uh, losing it a little bit in the fourth quarter there against App State last week. Um, losing focus a little bit. So I'm uncertain about how they're going to respond and how the team's going to respond. Um, but also similar to 2016, I feel, and we'll get into this a little more when we talk about Pitt's strengths and weaknesses, but I think I'm feeling the same kind of hesitance in picking Penn State to win this game because of the Pitt run game, just as it was in 2016. So I actually think there's a lot of parallels between those two games just for, I mean, slightly different reasons. And, and Matt,
0: I'm, I am I want to ask you this because going into the game in 2016, you were beating the drum louder than anyone I knew that Penn State was not going to lose that game. I, I know uh, what you think ends up happening this year, but... Did the outcome of the 2016 game give you a little bit more hesitancy in picking Penn State to go in uh, to Heinz Field for their one raucous crowd a year and take down Pitt?
2: Well, first of all, two years ago, there there was a little bit of false bravado in in my insistence that Penn State would not lose to Pitt. Um, I can say that one because that's what it was, and two, they didn't win. Two and but, two because it just made yet, you look better. And if you yet, it, it you
1: said it like a thousand times in like a two-day span. It well, was actually you,
2: impressive. Well, if you say something enough, you start to believe it, and it just kind of right. be, kind of takes over your your entire mindset. But to to answer the question, after all that, I think I this game feels different because. And Bill, you and I talked about this two years ago leading up to even before the season started that neither of us, you especially, were terribly crazy about where Pitt fell on the schedule. Um, and I, bl- I believe the way we, you and I had spoken about it back then was we would have loved to have flipped the, the Temple game that year with the Pitt game. So Pitt would have been third, Temple would have been second. I think, and this is kind of a backwards way to think about it in one sense, one of the things that feels differently is I feel like we know a little bit more about Penn State because of how they were pushed last week. Um, there's certainly questions to be answered because of how they were pushed last week and the the meltdown that happened over the last, not even the last quarter, the last eleven or twelve minutes of the game there. But I feel like going into the game two years ago, Penn State had beat Kent State. They looked okay doing it. There were. It was it was a very opening week kind of win against a team that you were supposed to beat by a lot, and they did. And it wasn't really that close. And you just you no one was really tested a whole lot. Now two years later, after last week, you have a lot of not only new players but players in new roles, bigger roles, starting roles, et cetera, that were pushed, were challenged, um, probably humbled a little bit. I th- I want to think that going through that will will be a benefit going into um, what will be a pretty raucous atmosphere. Um, I'm not going to call it a hostile atmosphere because I think all three of us agree that there's going to be quite a few Penn State fans there. And the the amount of, of venom and hate towards Penn State will be minimized to some degree by the number of Penn State fans in the building. But I think just the energy level in that building, because of you know, full house, primetime, pit Penn State, whether it's a rival or earning nights, it's a big game. And there's, there's something to be said for having been through a, a test, an experience that probably gets you a little uncomfortable, like you're going to be at times on Saturday and being more ready to react to it. I think one of the things that happened two years ago was the wheels fell off really, really quickly. And to everyone's credit, they they recovered and they were, were a drop pass away from probably winning the game somehow. But I think they were really shell shocked because of, you know, a couple of things that didn't go their way early and it took them a bit of time to get their feet back under them. I don't feel like, you know, if they if they go down seven nothing or if they have an early turnover or or something doesn't go exactly to script early on, I feel like everyone's gonna be a little bit more prepared for that and I think too going along with that same thing that same line of thought his Trace McSorley is still Penn State's quarterback and we've we've all harped on the fact that you have a third year starter fifth year senior um you know his his numbers speak for themselves but on top of that there's not a whole lot probably better than
1: Kenny Pickett too
2: probably it's it's close depends who you ask He's, he's he's just got more experience, and it's it's hard to be to, to be better than that because of because of experience. Dave <laughs> Wanstead rules. I'm sorry, I love that but, guy. He's but, awesome. But, but all Wani joking aside, and, and we I'm sure we'll get into that at some point during the next hour or so. You've got a guy who's been through just about everything and come through on the other side more often than not, um, on the right side of things. So I think there's just there's a lot of things the the unknown. That Nick touched on is, I think, very much the same. Um, you know, There was an opening week game where they didn't look great, which is very much the same as two years ago. Um, closer game, but against a better team. But I think they're much better equipped to handle the unknown than they were two years ago. You know, think back to it's bizarre to think that it's been just two years. I think, you know, is James Franklin going to make it through the year? Is Joe Moorhead's offense going to work at this level? Is Trace McSorley the answer at quarterback? Is is Saquon Barkley going to be able to follow up on his great freshman season? And you know, we know the answer to those now, but think of think of what's going through the minds of that team when they go down, was it 21-7 and they can't hang on to the ball and 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 everything that happened in the first 15-20 minutes of the game in 2016? It's not a huge stretch to realize to think that everything else going on around the program at that time played in the to the the slow start and the little lack of trust if you want to think of it that way that's just not the case this time yeah there's gonna things aren't gonna go right it's a football game and it's against a team that's that's okay they're fine they're they're not great they're not going to win the acc or anything like that but they're they're a, a acc team that's probably going to win six or seven games and they're gonna they're gonna do things that are gonna um that are going to put you in uncomfortable positions, that are going to be successful. And I think just as a whole, everyone's a lot more equipped to, okay, well, they got it that time. Let's go out and, and we'll get the next one. And I think that's, that's what I expect to see, you know, over the course of all four quarters, you know, when the, when the final whistle blows on Saturday night.
0: I, I think the slightly more pessimistic way of looking at heading into this game... Um, compared to 2016, is that 2016 showed that Pitt in their building can beat Penn State. Which, I, I know that's not like a stunning revelation or anything like that. I mean, that Pitt team ended up bringing, like, for how good Penn State ended up being... When they played on that day in September in 2016, where you consider where both football programs were, like Pitt was probably the better football program at that time. Like it was Trace McSorley's second start as a quarterback, it was Joe Moorhead's second game as an offensive coordinator, it was Brent Pry's second game as a defensive coordinator. Like there's just a lot of stuff that Penn State was kind of. I don't want to say going through in 2016, and Pitt was able to come out, they were able to jump on Penn State early, and they were able to win that football game in it. It, set the t- it really did set the tone for what last year's game was and what I expect this year's game to be and what I expect next year's game to be, which is you have to be at your absolute best to come into our house and beat us. And that works for both ways. Uh, what I think that... Well, that's one of the big things. The other big thing is that Penn State showed, despite the fact that it did lose, it showed that it can win. Like you mentioned, Matt, Penn State was a Deshaun Hamilton uh, catch away or an Irvin uh, Charles-Trace McSorley miscommunication away from winning that football game. Very possibly. I mean, Pitt... Lost Nathan Peterman, he is uh, against all odds in the NFL right now. James Conner in the NFL right now. A lot of the guys that were there for Pitt that played roles that helped them win, win and solidify that football game. Even a guy like Jordan Whitehead, not there anymore. But for Penn State, Trace McSorley is still there. The Trace McSorley that took the field in September of 2016 and lost to Pitt and the Trace McSorley that are going to take the field on Saturday are two completely different guys. In that time, he's won double-digit games in back-to-back years. He's won uh, a Big Ten championship. He's made it to a Rose Bowl. He's made it. He's won the Fiesta Bowl. Like he has done so much since that time that, like we joke about, uh, you know, people like Dave Wanstedt and various pit media people saying, you know, it's close at quarterback or. Whatever the only thing Trace has is experience. No. What Trace McSorley has is a resume and a track record as a guy who's able to get it done in these games. I mean, hell, just look last week. Penn State was dead to rights. He, the ball got put into his hands at the end of regulation, and he did it. So, I'm a little bit... I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit nervous heading into this game. Like, I don't feel uh, as... I don't want to say comfortable because I, you know, heading into 2016, I said, you know what, it's very possible Penn State loses this game, but I still thought that Penn State was going to win. I'm kind of in that same boat now. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't think, Nick, it is possible to go into this game 100% confident. I don't know if that's just because of the environment, because I know Pitt's going to bring, but let's kind of strip that away and let's just look at this Pitt team. Like we mentioned, 1-0 on the year, beat Albany last week. Uh, I believe, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong once I'm kind of done giving you your prompt for this, but uh, James Franklin said something to the extent of pit like scheduling, not cupcakes, but teams that they don't have to do too terribly much against in the first game of the year, so they can kind of play it close to the chest. And, you know, heading into this game, I can't blame them for doing that. So when you look at this pit team, what... Like, where are their strengths? Where are the ways that, if they succeed, it's going to be because of, you know, that reason.
1: If they succeed, it'll be, be it'll be because they run the ball well. They have a lot of different ways they can move the ball on the ground. Whether it's Kenny Pickett scrambling, Kadri Olson or Darren Hall running, or AJ Davis running, uh, they used Maurice French a couple times on jet sweeps against Albany. So if they're able to move the ball on the ground with those guys, which they were able to do a little bit last year with Kadri Olson, um, And Kadri Olson's very, very good, by the way, you shouldn't, no one should be selling him short or, um, or overlooking him. He's a very good running back, but if they're able to move the ball on the ground, then that's, that's kind of the key to their success. Kenny Pickett is a good quarterback and he generally makes good decisions. The, I mean, the, the story from camp about, he hasn't thrown a single interception is silly and wasn't really news, but, you you have even against Albany it takes a good it takes a good quarterback to go i think 12 for 12 in the half or 13 for 13 regardless he didn't didn't throw an incompletion in the first half which is impressive so he the combination of him being a pretty good decision maker from what we've seen of him it's a it's a very small sample size to be sure but that combined with a strong run game um they brought in Taysier Mack this offseason from Indiana i think it was i think it was this offseason Maybe it was yeah, because I don't think he sat out. Um, So uh, I mean, he's I I liked him in Indiana, and I like him here. I think he's a good receiver. So they have they have some things going for that offense. The key is running the ball, though,
0: and that's kind of been Pitt's forte uh, for some time now. They're gonna if they can run the ball between the tackles, uh, and you know their offensive line is four redshirt seniors and then a redshirt sophomore at center, they might be able to get that push up front. If they could do that and they can get into situations where their quarterback is, you know, you have to convert a third and three, a third and two, a third and four, something like that. They're going to feel really good about their chances to win the game. Uh, But Matt, looking at the other side of the football, when we look at Pitt, I mean, you know as well as I do, like, there is a blueprint that Pat Narduzzi likes to follow on defense, and you know it would be a shock if, for whatever reason, Penn, uh, Pitt suddenly just stopped being a Pat Narduzzi football team on that side of the ball.
2: Well, yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's a pretty typical coach's mindset, especially a guy that's defensively minded like Narduzzi is. We're going to run the football. And we're going to stop the run. That's that's what they want to do. They want to put you in obvious passing downs. They want to keep themselves out of obvious passing downs. Um, they're not built to 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 win third and twelve on offense. They're not built to win, you know, second and four, second and two, third and one on defense. They want to um, be aggressive in, in their secondary. They want to. They do a lot of different things with their, their defensive front. Um, you know, they twist up front. They stunt. They, they bring pressure from the linebackers in a number of different ways. Um, they, they want to get you in third and seven where they know you're going to look to pass it and then try and confuse your quarterback. Um, and I think for as, as comfortable non-score-wise as last year's game was, they did a pretty good job of that. If you go back and look, McSorley didn't have a great day. Barkley didn't have a huge day. It was very much a, a conservative game plan to limit the big play, to control the clock, to try and you know, try hope slash force Penn State to make a mistake that sets them up with a short field or generates defensive points or score on the special teams, something like that. Um, that's kind of the way Pat Narduzzi wants to win football games. And I think the case this year, it's even more in a, in a very literal sense from an experience standpoint, it's not true, but this is a more talented Penn State team on paper than last year's team was. Um, and it's a much more talented team on paper than Pitt is. And so I think you're going to see him once again try and slow the game down, try you know try to avoid being... Being exposed deep by KJ Hamler, by DeAndre Tompkins, by Brandon Polk, um, try to and, and put this game as much as they can, not on the, the arm of Trace McSorley, because that's, that's Penn State's strength. That's really in Narduzzi's tenure at Pitt where they've struggled is, is, is against high octane passing offense. And I think last week, notwithstanding, that's what Penn State wants to be. They're going to be balanced, but they're, you look at a quarterback like Trace McSorley and the weapons they have all over the outside, the, the strength of the offense is, is in the skill position, is in the passing game. And it doesn't take a genius to look at, at what he's done previously and look, and look at his, his previous stop as the defensive coordinator at Michigan State. But they're going to follow the same blueprint that Mark D'Antonios followed to a lot of success um, in East Lansing and you know, we'll talk about it here in a little bit. The question is whether they'll, they'll be able to do enough. Last year, they mm-hmm. succeeded in, in dumbing the game down to the point where it was ugly. I don't think any Penn State fan really felt great as far as where the team stood coming out of it because it was a very sloppy performance. Trace McSorley probably had one of his, his worst games stats-wise in his 10-year in his starter at that point and really still, still is the case. So I it, it's it's an obvious answer, but it's it's kind of what Pitt has to do to to be successful against a team that is bigger than them, is faster than them, is more athletic than them at just about every spot. Yeah, I mean, that it, it, it's been Narduzzi's uh, it, it's been his blueprint forever. It, it, there is
0: nothing that he wants more than to bring pressure to make your quarterback uncomfortable and. To basically be in a position where it's third down and seven, third down and eight, and those pass rushers can pin their ears back, maybe there's a blitz. It, it's something that kind of falls apart in the event that his cornerbacks aren't able to, I don't want to say stay on an island, but aren't able to uh, get the job done, and they allow that, you know, a lot is put on his secondary Because if you're able to be in a position where no one is getting open down the field, and I I, you know, this tenant of Narduzzi's defense, like I think it's something we all agree with. If no one's getting open down the field, that's gonna make it a whole lot easier for your pass rush to look a whole lot better than uh, it might be, or live up to whatever potential it has. So that's going to be like that's something I'm gonna be watching all game. I'm going to be watching for how Pitt's going to go out especially on the defensive side of the ball, against a veteran quarterback who is not going to be shaken by uh, being in an environment that is going to be uh, very hostile towards him. And are they they just going to be able to execute? And I think that's something that heading into this week of practice, Penn State, like that has to be their number one thing. It has to be on executing. It has to be on... Uh, making it so those drives against App State, where it's three and out, aren't really happening. So that's a, like, I'm going to kind of be looking out for that. Uh, th- this is kind of an open question for either of you, but when you look at this pit team and you look at their weak spots, where are the places where uh, you think Penn State's going to be able to? Beyond what you were saying, Matt, beyond Penn State having a talent advantage in basically every position, where are going to be the places where Penn State's really, really not going to be able to hone in on because, like, that's just not what, like, Pitt isn't especially good at those things.
2: Well, I think you you touched on it kind of right in the, the first part of your, your comment there that, and I kind of did too a little, a little bit, Pitt has not defended the pass very well, especially the the explosive passing game you know the the Oklahoma State game last year was kind of the 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 film study on on what not to do from a secondary standpoint um, they were missing Whitehead and a couple other players that game due to suspension still I believe but anyway I think what Penn State wants to do and is going to need to do is take advantage of that it's it's a still relatively green secondary that hasn't had a whole lot of success against the better teams they've played um and i think i touched on a little bit on what i wrote on the site earlier in the week that penn state's issues on offense for the most part and you can you can break down a play here and there where this wasn't the case but on the the drives that that were unsuccessful in moving the ball or and or scoring points were the ones where they kind of Shot themselves in the foot, dropped passes, missed blocks, um, you know, missed read by a running back. You know, simple things that are correctable. My my biggest takeaway from the offensive side of the ball against Appalachian State was Penn State did a lot of beating themselves when they had the ball. Um, it wasn't a bad scheme. It wasn't the players weren't good enough. It was a the really good players didn't perform to their capabilities. You know, Juwan Johnson had. Two very clear drops and probably two more that he, if you got him in an honest moment, um, he, he would admit he should have had. Um, it was you know, Connor McGovern, who's probably been Penn State's best or second best offensive lineman over the last two years with Ryan Bates. Um, starting his first game at guard since his freshman year, gets beat on a sack. The guys that are more than capable didn't make the play. And it, again, it wasn't because they aren't good enough. It wasn't because they were put in a spot by the the game plan to, to not make those plays. They just didn't make the plays, and it happens. And I think a big part of that was um, the emotion of the game. And I think that's something to be on the lookout for this week, because like I said up front, it's going to be an energized, emotional stadium on both sides. It's not going to be a hostile atmosphere per se, but you know, it's it's walking into you know the the Fiesta Bowl last year where you've got a 50-50 crowd or whatever it worked out to be um you know the orange bowl wouldn't be or the um, rose bowl wouldn't be a great example because there was 80,000 USC fans there but it's the same kind of mindset you know it's it's a it's more of a neutral site and i think that'll be play out in the those fan split but there's going to be a lot of noise whenever either team has the ball cuz everyone's going to be excited the one side's going to be making noise for their defense one side's going to be cheering their guys it's going to be that kind of palpable buzz from from kickoff to final whistle. And what, what really hurt them last week, I think, was letting that emotion and energy get them really, really high off the bat. They come out, they go down the field, they score seven points. This is going to be a great year. No one can stop us. And then 30 seconds later, it's 7-7 because they missed a couple tackles on the kickoff and Appalachian State went down the field and scored with it. Um, second half the onside kick. They've got it they've got the game at 31-17. It feels like, you know, we're gonna get the ball back, we're gonna run some time off the clock, we're gonna, you know, not have a not have a great win, but we're gonna come away, get out of here and, and move on. And they then they lose the onside kick and it all kind of unravels from there and they give up twenty-one more unanswered points after that. And so it's it's gonna be how they deal with these I'm I'm repeating myself here ad nauseum how they deal with these emotional swings and an energized environment and, and really quite simply just making plays and, and taking advantage of the fact that they're the more talented football team.
1: Yeah, Nick y'all, y'all are monologuing tonight. You guys are just going. Yeah. I'm uh,
2: kind of exhausted right now. Have, but have you, nor you there. been on a podcast with me before Nick? This is like <laughs> what I do.
1: I know, yeah. but man, you, it's like you guys are like, you guys are trying out for a play right now or something.
0: Uh the outlook wasn't brilliant for the Good. Mudville nine that day. The score stood four to two without admitting okay fine. Nick, weaknesses. Pitt, go.
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't think the defense in general is all that impressive, I thought. I watched a little bit of the Albany game. I couldn't really stomach to watch much more than I did, but I saw their cornerbacks get beat on I mean, single coverage balls a couple times and I it's Albany. You, you probably should be able to cover Albany's receivers. I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're. Yeah, I'm sure they're decently talented players. But you should expect your quarterbacks to be able to hold up against that. And then I, I don't think the front seven is all that scary. I don't think they. I, I don't know. I'm just not very intimidated by Pitt's defense, and I think that's. A, it's a little. I mean, it's not weird to see because their defense really hasn't. It's secretly not been amazing, but. Uh, allow,
2: allow me to monologue here a little bit more, just, just please. real briefly. The, par- the part's yours. Dev Holmes, Albany's leading receiver last week, nine catches, 148 yards, a of 40. Uh, I believe it's Jarrah, Jarrah Reeves had three catches for 58 yards, including a 37-yarder. And you their don't running know back, how to
1: pronounce every receiver on Albany's name?
2: Uh, this one's going to be a challenge. This is their running back, who had one catch for 28 yards. Elijah Ibatukin hanks which is new, my new favorite name in college football. By the way, I'm a huge Great Danes fan now because of that.
1: No, <laughs> but, Lil' Jordan, little Jordan Humphrey's still the best.
2: But but I, I think <laughs> just going going back to my point here, those they've got three catches just as I'm looking at at longest receptions that went for 28, 37, and forty yards. Their quarterback, Vinny Testaverde Jr., went twenty nine for t- he averaged nine yards a completion um, through two picks, but I think the numbers, and I I saw exactly zero minutes of the game, and I can't be more thrilled to say that. And but the numbers kind of bear out what you're saying, Nick, that they're not the, those issues with the big play are still there, and it's just a matter of taking advantage of it.
1: Yeah, I'm just not. I'm yeah, I'm really not that scared of Pitt's defense, and that will show in my prediction later yeah, on. And-
2: uh, the thing
0: I will give Pitts defense is that, like, going into this game, I think they're going to have a really good game plan, and they're going to scheme very well, and they're going to have all that stuff ironed out to the best of their ability, but, like, there's a difference between having a good plan and uh, knowing what to do once you get punched in the be- punched in the mouth, so uh, I think that's going to be something to watch. Uh, moving on into the next thing, uh, Nick, will start with you. Uh, Again, just looking at these two teams, how does Penn State win this game, and how does Pitt win this game? And I want you to start with Pitt, because I feel like that's going to be a little bit longer of an answer uh, than Penn State, because I think we can kind of just Occam's Razor how the Nittany Lions win this game.
1: I think for both teams, it comes down to the run game, so it's kind of the same answer on both sides. I think Pitt wins the game if they're able to control the ball uh, through the on the ground, I think if they're able to... Run their offense in that way. I think that gives them a good chance, um, and I think they have a chance to do that. Considering that Penn State's linebackers were not terribly impressive in the first week, and the current starting alignment—Cam Brown, Jan Johnson, and Koa Farmer—definitely lacks a lacks something. Maybe speed, if you want to say speed, instinct, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, but I think that's Pitt's. I think that's the formula: run the ball. And then on the other side, if they contain Miles Sanders, I think that's I think that's how you are going to corral Penn State's offense in this one. Yes, the secondary for Pitt has been disappointing, but if you get to the point where you know that Penn State's going to throw the ball in every play, then any secondary can make strides. So it's it's pretty simple for me. It's if Kadri Olson and Kenny Pickett can move the ball on the ground if Pickett can complete an occasional play-action pass or get a scramble. And on the other side, if they can keep Miles Sanders and Ricky Slade and Mark Allen in check, then I think Pitt has a decent chance.
0: And then for Penn State, is it does it simply just come down to everything plays out the way it should play out and Penn State's talent wins out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote down in my notes here that Penn State wins by doing what they did for the first three quarters against App State. They let Miles Sanders run the ball. The offensive line is able to create a pocket. They use play action to break off those big chunks in the passing game. And they're able to contain the run game with their defense. And in this game, and... and I, last week is, I mean, that last week was a great tune-up in a lot of ways. But Jalen Moore is a really, really good running back. So getting the chance to go up against him is a good preview. And now, Coady Ellison's a different kind of runner, not quite as elusive, a little more powerful. But that's it's still a good. It was a good test for this Penn State team ahead of the ahead of the pit game.
0: And, and Matt, uh, hanging to you, same question: How does Pitt win? How does Penn State win?
2: Real quick, I want to know what Nick's doing with notes, because this is not a professional production in the least.
1: I have one and a half pages of notes, actually. God, How, how many of them
2: are like doodles of, of Sam Ficken? and None,
1: because it's on Google Docs.
2: Oh, wow, Nick's fancy. Um, to answer Bill's question, I think Pitt's, Pitt wins the game by forcing and or taking advantage of Penn State mistakes, by which I mean turnovers, special teams blunders, things like that. I don't think it's it's really similar to how you would say Appalachian State wins last week and it kind of played its way out. Penn State didn't turn the ball over but they dropped balls. They had two horrible plays in in the special teams game that one directly led to seven points, one pretty much you know, indirectly led to seven more the onside kick there. Um I think Pitt isn't good enough to to win without getting extra possessions. Without Penn State doing things that they are better than, if that makes sense. Um, like Nick was saying, Pitt just is—they don't have the talent level to to line up and just you know make the better team win. It's, go, it's going to be kind of like what what Bill Conley said earlier in this week this week in in the uh in his tuesday column i guess it was because of the way the games played out but the upsets happen by by a number of things and a couple of those are, are bad bounces turnovers things like that that's what pit needs because it's you know it's not wouldn't be as big an upset as last week would have been from a, a point spread perspective but it's still you know they're what a seven or eight point underdog as we as we talk at this moment they were you know, a 10-point underdog as, early, as recently as, as Sunday, and they were a 14-point underdog as recently as Saturday before the, uh, the, the, the Penn State game kicked off. So I, di- I think it's, it's cliche and it's easy to say, but I think Pitt wins the game by Penn State not playing up to their, their capabilities.
1: Yeah, and- Pitt wins the game by Penn State losing the game essentially.
2: That, that's a very good way to put it, but that would have taken a lot fewer words. You, in, in the immortal words of I believe, I believe this is what uh,
0: Trent Dilfer said, you cannot lose in the NFL and win. So uh, just apply that to Penn State football, and I think that kind of sums it all up. But, I mean, to me it ultimately just comes down to whether or not Penn State is able to take advantage of when they're on the field because each of the last two years, Pitt has tried its hardest. They've understood that the way Penn State scores points is by being on the field, so they want to control the clock. They want to run the football. If they're going four yards on a run and four yards on a run and three yards on a pass and getting a first down, they're totally fine with that. They've destroyed Penn State in total yards, well, in time of possession and beaten them in total yards each of the last two games. And that's kind of the blueprint. It worked in two thousand. It mostly worked in two thousand and sixteen, and it didn't work at all last year. So I would be very surprised if, uh, for how, because I don't think like Kenny Pickett's like devoid of talent. I think he's a talented enough dude. Like for how much they love Kenny Pickett down there, and how much they're going to try and ride that wave, I think Pitt's going to try and make this into a real ugly football game. And if they could do that, they're gonna have a chance to win this because of Penn State's defense. The thing that I think Nick was trying to say with Penn State's linebackers is that they lack a certain physicality. And when Quadri Olson's running I at you. I hate
1: that word, but sure.
0: No, like I don't I don't really like it either because like these dudes are mo- like compared to the normal human, these dudes are monsters. But when six two two twenty five Quadri Olson is running at you, you need to be able to uh get hit and make him fall backwards and I have some questions about whether or not Penn State's linebackers can do that. So, if Pitt's able to hold on to the football, if they're able to keep Penn State off the field, and they're able to force a few three-and-outs maybe early on, get into a rhythm and build up a cushion, because I do think Penn State's going to have some kind of a run in it over the course of this game. I think they have a pretty solid chance at winning. And then for Penn State, just to echo what everyone has said, like, just Be the better football team that everyone knows you are. You do that, you're winning this game. Like, get in, get out, take care of business. Don't worry about anything else. Just make sure that's what happens. Uh, In a game like this, there's always an X factor or two uh, that kind of determine this game. So, Matt, as you're looking at both teams, as you're looking at the game as a whole, where are the X factors going to be that kind of uh, maybe gives either team that little shot in the arm to uh, get them over the hump?
2: I, I think the easy answer is, is turnovers in special teams, because it seems like in any game that's kind of where things swing. Penn State probably knows that as well as anyone in the country. They, they beat Ohio State two years ago um, on a special teams play. They lost to Ohio State last year, due in large part to a special teams play, the block punt. They almost lost last week to, due to two special teams gaffes. Um, I think Phil Galliano has, has, has quite the task to, to recover from two pretty major mistakes last week for, from, from a, to be quite honest, a coaching standpoint, um, the onside kicks never should have happened. And it was a, a, a combination of multiple errors on the kickoff return. Um, I expect that to be better. I think Blake Gilligan's going to have a better game. He had a couple good punts last week, but all in all, he was, he was, a little below where we've probably gotten used to him being solid game, but not on up to his, his typical level. Um, And I think it was odd last week. We only had the one turnover that ended the game. I feel like we're going to, we're going to have a few more on Saturday and it's um, whoever one avoids those turnovers, committing them and whoever takes advantage of them. um, Well, will obviously certainly benefit I think from, from a player standpoint, it seems odd to say this for the starting quarterback, but I think that's true for both teams. I think Kenny Pickett and Trace McSorley are really going to be the ones that decide this game. Um, this is this is Kenny Pickett's biggest game by far as a starter. We, we can all point to the Miami game last year, but Pitt was, was a, I think, was already ineligible for a bowl game. Um, it was Thanksgiving weekend. It was before the gathered hundreds at Heinz Field. It just... It was against a good team, but it wasn't a big game by any means. This is going to be by far the biggest crowd he's played in front of, by far the big, the most pressure he's felt as pitch-starting quarterback. And I think for Trace McSorley, if you go back and look at even last in last year's game, like I said earlier, he didn't play particularly well. And for all his late success two years ago, he had, what, two or three fumbles and was, was noticeably rattled early on um, two years ago in Heinz Field. So I think... The quarterback play for both teams will be will be very crucial. Uh, Nick, what about yourself?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I think the X factor for the offense is Miles Sanders. I like I said in the how they each win the game, I think it just I was really impressed with Miles Sanders in the first week, and I think if he's able to do what he did against that Blash and state, I think that gives Penn State a really good chance to win. And on the defensive side, I actually I think Kevin Gibbons. Um, Assuming that he gets to play in this game, I think he is arguably the most important player for this because if you add him and the typical pressure he's able to generate right up the middle of the defense, then suddenly all those uh, hurries that Uturgos Matos is getting, those are going to start turning into sacks. And same and um, same with all the other players who are rushing a bunch of the blitzes that Penn State had go on that week one. So I think Kevin Givens has a chance to make a really big impact in this game.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just kind of fascinated in uh, the guys from Pittsburgh on the whole. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my eye just goes right to Lamont Wade. It kind of has to after, uh, I'm pulling it up right now, but after Pat Narduzzi earlier today uh, said you don't see him a whole lot. You don't see him out there. You don't see him a lot out there. Like, what happens when Lamont Wade takes the field? Is he going to try and uh, be a little bit jacked up and try and go for some big plays and try and shut Pat Narduzzi up and recognize him? Or are, is he going to be able to play within himself? Is Micah Parsons, who, you know, is not a Pittsburgh guy but is a Pennsylvania guy and is going to be uh, put into a, a, a situation that you can't really plan for, Is he going to be a little bit too juiced up? And is he going to make mistakes? Like, just that sort of stuff. With how young Penn State is and with how, uh, you know, a lot of these guys have been in this rivalry or been aware and cognizant of the feelings of both sides of this rivalry for however long, I want to see how they react to being in this situation finally. Then, of course, there's the crowd. If it's uh, 80-20 Pitt fans uh which which I don't think is going to happen that's going to make the situation a little more perilous if it's uh closer to you know 60 40 65 35 pit fans which is probably what it's going to end up being maybe not as much but still it's going to be uh it, it's going to be fascinating to watch um I think we're at the portion of the show where we make our uh our predictions for this weekend uh who wants to go first, or do y'all want me to uh me to throw mine out there first?
2: I'm Yours not is go the worst. First, so we so,
0: so. No, we're making Bill go first. Okay. Those is the worst. No, that's fine. Right, go I'm, for it. Uh, I'm picking Penn State to win. I'm picking them to win 38-34. I don't think this is uh as I, I don't think this is a guaranteed thing at, to the extent that one of my co-hosts is going to say that it's a guaranteed thing. Uh I think Pitt's going to come out fired up for this, and I think Penn State will too, but when you're playing in your building with these stakes uh, around the game, I think you're going to bring that a little bit extra. I think you have Kenny Pickett's going to go out there with that chip on his shoulder and uh, play like something of a bat out of hell early on. I, think that, uh, I don't think Pitt leads at halftime, but if it's like 17-14 or 17-17 at halftime, I would not be surprised. Ultimately, though, I think Penn State's talent wins out. I think the fact that Penn State has gone into that building uh, within the last few years and suffered basically the ultimate heartbreak, I think that's something that they're going to ride a little bit, and I think they end up pulling this game out. I can't get the visions of uh, App State scoring 28 uh, fourth-quarter points quite out of my head, which is why I think it's... 35 34 and Pitt's able to cover the spread but uh, yeah I think Penn State gets the job done. Uh, Matt, what
2: do you think? I, I have Penn State winning 4130 and we were talking right before we, we hit record on this I it'll be one of those games where on one hand it's not as close the score makes it look closer than it was. But it will never. It'll never be one of those. It won't be forty-one seventeen late and Pitt scores a couple meaningless touchdowns to make it look respectable. I think it'll more likely be one of those games where the score is close, but you never really feel uncomfortable. Um, much in the way last year's game, if uh, if you remember that, where you know it was just kind of just kind of happened. Penn State just kind of won by nineteen. I think it's going to be similar to that. I, I don't think Penn State's defense is as good. Uh, through the whole game as they were through the first three quarters on Saturday. I don't think they're as bad as they were in the last four quarter or last quarter where they gave up the four touchdowns. I think they're somewhere in the middle. Um, I think you see guys like Jawan Johnson and Connor McGovern and John Reed and and, and the guys that, that have been here and done that before show up and, and played much better than they did last week. You know, they, they, they fixed those execution errors that we talked about early on. And I think, um, you know, Pitt's, Pitt's going to do do some stuff that they don't expect. They're going to have some success, but I think Penn, like I've said a hundred times, it feels like already tonight, Penn State's just the better team, and usually in college football, the better team, the more talented team's going to win. Nick, you definitely think the Penn State's the better team.
1: Please go ahead. Penn Nathan. State forty, Pitt seventeen. Woo! I think last week was exactly what this team needed. I think it, it, it's a really young and Inexperienced team in a lot of different areas, and I think last week was a good wake-up call. They clearly had the talent to run away with that game, and they didn't, and now they see the consequences of that. So I expect to see those young guys in particular really step up. I think we see a good amount of Micah Parsons this week, and I think that he's going to make a bunch of plays in the run game especially. I think Miles Sanders is going to run angry. But then most of all, I think I really see the offensive line stepping up this week. I think they know that they're supposed to be this good to great unit for the team and one of the best lines in the Big Ten, potentially. And I think that they are going to respond to... wasn't necessarily a bad week last week. It wasn't as bad as a lot of people made it out to be um, upon the rewatch. But they definitely can do better, and I think they will do better. 40-17. 40 to 17 March very down. nice uh, like I don't get me wrong
0: I want this to end up 40 to 17 I just have uh, my uh, I, I'm a little skeptical about that ending up happening but I there's nothing I'd like more than to come back on uh, the early pod next week and say hey everyone Nick was right isn't that something good um, yeah I think that's it for this game uh, we're gonna we have a surprise for y'all that we're gonna bust out. Uh, momentarily. But first, we're going to go through the Big Ten slate, because this week's slate of Big Ten games sucks. Uh, New Mexico-Wisconsin, neither of us care about, none of us care about. Uh, Western Michigan against Michigan, none of us care about On West Western Michigan wins, and then we're going to laugh very hard. So the first game we care about, Duke at Northwestern. And why do we care about that, Nick? (sighs) Because we are playing the ticket price game. For those of you who are new to this podcast, what happens is uh, Nick and um, if we have a second person on to this event, Matt, they're going to guess what the lowest price is that you can get for this football game on StubHub. Now, Duke, coming into this year, they're kind of a trendy pick to, you know... Win a few football games, be a tough team under David Cutcliffe. Northwestern won a big game last weekend to kick off the season in West Lafayette against Purdue. There should be palpable buzz around this game. Matt, we'll start with you. What is the lowest ticket price that you can get on StubHub for this one? Nine bucks. Nine bucks. Nick? Four. Uh, so you were both over, and Nick actually doubled it. It's two dollars.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I love the two dollar Stub Hub. That excellent. That is the, the lowest price as, as someone who has both bought and sold numerous tickets on Stub Hub, that is the <laughs> lowest price they will let you list the ticket at. And like I have to imagine
0: that like yeah, I like I don't understand my guess is the fees probably are like quadrupled that.
2: Oh yeah, you're yeah. paying at least eight bucks to get in after after fees. It's it's a huge right. markup on the two dollar ticket.
0: Which the moral of the story is that if you are a Penn Stater in the greater Chicago area and you're looking for something to do before the game comes so off, go to this game. It, it should be an all right game, and it's not a financial investment at all. Uh, the following game, Eastern Michigan at Purdue. Uh, we'll play the game again. Uh, Nick, you start this time.
1: Mm,
0: five. Five, Matt. Nine bucks. Four dollars. Uh, let's <laughs> see. Rutgers at a... Ohio State that's going to be hilarious
2: oh no, that that's oh poor Rutgers that's, no that's not gonna go well
0: no, no just Rutgers go up. just get your exercise guys you uh you deserve this one it,
2: does Rutgers score in that game yes yeah. I okay. I mean Oregon
0: State's not especially good and they hung 33 on the Buckeye defense so
2: has Rutgers ever scored against Ohio State we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago I don't I don't know if they've ever scored in the big Ten game against them
1: uh ever Ever. all right you guys keep talking and i'll look
2: it i
0: was gonna say i'm actually in the process of looking this up nick so don't worry about that next up on the slate uh colorado at nebraska it's not like 1990 so i don't particularly care about that one but if either of you care about that one god bless you just uh let it be known, and you have about five seconds to do that because i'm looking this up right now. nope nope uh, we get
2: to see Scott Frost coach a football game in Nebraska finally. That'll that'll be a
0: Ohio State and Rutgers have only
1: played four times.
0: Yes, and the final scores have been fifty-six to seventeen, uh, forty-nine to seven, uh fifty-eight to nothing, and fifty-six to nothing. So oh, they, they haven't scored in the
2: last two years. That right. that was that's what I was trying to Also,
0: remember. if this game ends fifty four to nothing, it will technically be improvement for Rutgers. So
2: So so they've got
1: that going for them. Wow. In four years, they've never given up fewer than 49 points.
2: Yeah. That doesn't seem good. Hey,
0: speaking of of games that are going to be weird, it's El Asico time, folks. Iowa State at Iowa in Iowa (gasps) City. I forgot that was this week. El Asico. I actually might watch this game, Iowa State. Uh, Hopefully no Iowa fans are listening to this because this will lead to them like, posting my address on the internet but I like watching Iowa State play football. Uh, I think they've kind of got to I a point watch, like, I
1: watch this game every year. Yeah, I love this game. The difference is
0: it's not going to end like, you know, 13 to 7. It might end like 44 to 41. Um what what do y'all think? Kinnick Magic or do you think uh Cyclones have this one?
1: Iowa State. Iowa
2: State, Matt. I right. give me a point spread if it's handy.
0: Uh, yeah, give me one second. Uh, Iowa is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. At home. Yeah.
2: Blurms will yell at me, but but I think Iowa pulls this one off. Didn't it, was it a like double double overtime last year? It was, it was, it was a crazy game last yeah, year, I remember, I remember that. that.
0: gave me very good last year, but, yeah. Uh, let's see, Maryland. Is that last
1: year or the uh, year before? I think it was last year, because it was in, uh... Actually, no, at, at I'm, Iowa I'm thinking of, like, three years. I'm thinking of when, um... Uh who, I think when Alan Lazard was like a freshman, I'm thinking of, so never mind, ignore me.
0: No, no, that's I always fine. do. Uh let's see. Uh we don't care about Virginia and Indiana. We don't care about Maryland Bowling Green. Um, I care a lot about Western Illinois, about against Illinois, but that's more because like if Lovey loses that game, oh boy, it's gonna get weird in uh in Loveyville. But otherwise I don't really uh
1: yeah, Loveyville sounds like a wonderful place.
0: It does. Also, hey, uh,
2: give give Lovey some credit. They, they rallied from a seventeen three deficit last week to beat the mighty Kent State Golden Flashes.
0: See, we joke about that, but we probably shouldn't because Penn State has to play Kent State next weekend, and if we get too many jokes off, that means Kent State's going to win. So we won't do that. Uh, hey, They're ticket price game on this in one. The world ticket price game on this one. It's a seven thirty kick. It's in Champaign, Illinois. Nick, you go first. Two bucks. Two bucks.
1: Nick. Seven,
0: seven by prices right rules. Matt is the winner. It's six dollars.
2: Mm. Well, six. Who's paying six bucks for that <laughs> when you can go when you can pay two bucks for for Duke Northwestern? Right. You can conceivably do both
0: games in the same day, and outside of like the cost you incur from gas, just in on buying tickets, it'll cost you like twenty bucks total. So. Uh, Don't do that, but if you do that, like email us or something, because God bless you. Uh, Fresno State at Minnesota, I don't care, because, Matt, without saying the game, do you know what the night kick is? It's a 10.45pm kick.
2: It is Herm Edwards.
0: No! Uh, Oh, that's what
1: it is! Michigan
0: State has to go to Tempe, Arizona to play the fight in Herms. I I am so excited for this game. If I'm in a bad mood after Penn State pit, I'm just going to get, like, annihilated and watch Herm Edwards, like... My guess is that Herm Edwards is going to be the kind of coach who, like, the two things he does is, like, clap his hands and, like, point his fingers into a face mask. So, I... Like, this game's going to... Like, I think Michigan State... I hope Michigan State... Wins this game like fifty-five to zero because I think that's probably the funniest outcome. Did
1: you watch Arizona State's first game? Apparently they Anyone? were good. I, did, I, no, I, no, that. That's not my question though. Did you watch it?
2: Oh, absolutely not. No, I I, I had other no things to do. Do you, you think Her,
1: Do you think Herm wears a headset? Oh no, no, absolutely not.
2: I, I hope he wears one of those the Todd Graham like earpiece
1: things. I feel oh, like he, I would. I thing, would yeah. be shocked if he's walking around in like AirPods.
0: Yeah. What? Here. Hold on. I'm ho- I'm running over to Getty. Uh, to look this up. But yeah, I'd actually be kind of upset if her more a headset because that just doesn't seem uh no, he wears a headset. God bless him.
1: Hmm.
2: He wears he's a headset. He's, he's a former like... NFL guy, of course he's got a headset. He's gonna talk to someone about something. And it might have nothing to do with the game, but he's gotta oh, wear yeah. the headset. Wait, like, he's absolutely on there telling his like
0: defensive coordinator like, I read Ecclesiastes earlier today and just things like that, but he's not going like, hey, Tampa Two or Anything too special.
2: Um. I, Bill, I am with you, though. This, I am so excited for this game for for a multitude of reasons. The, the biggest one is probably, this is my first and only chance probably for, for a few weeks here to just camp out on the couch and watch college football until there are no more games left. And the fact that there's a game at 1045 that actually has a team I'm, I'm somewhat interested in in, in Michigan State and a coach I'm really interested in watching in Herm Edwards. i I have two TVs in my basement while I'll be watching football on Saturday and you better believe that you know ten forty five the Penn State game is probably is still gonna be going on at ten forty five, TV number two is is going <laughs> is going straight to Arizona State, Michigan State. Yeah, I'll be watching this
0: with I'll be watching Penn State pit with some family in New Jersey and they're Like, they're all NFL fans. None of them watch college football too extensively. So I'm excited to throw this game on and just hear, like, all of them who are, none of them are aware that Herm has the Arizona State job, but all of them just, like, do a triple take and not ask me if Herm Edwards is now coaching Arizona State, but try to figure it out on their own because they can't quite fathom that someone would give Herm Edwards a coaching job in 2018. I cannot wait for that. What the, I can't, the most, the nope, most interesting nope, thing nope, about Nope, nope, this... nope, nope, Matt, I'm cutting you off because, Nick... We can't
1: talk about this game anymore. No. We can't do it. There's a reason why we cannot, Nick. What is it? No, it's because it's time for the freaking Real, pen Live, Comment, or da, Not da, 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 game.
0: Da, 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 it's time. Da, 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 da. It's
1: back. I cannot tell you when the last time we played it was. It at least was not since the middle of... The last regular season, I might have done it the last time Ty Hildenbrand came on the pod and joined me, but it is once again time for the Real Pen Live comment or not game. For those of you who are unfamiliar, let me pull it up so I get the handle exactly right. There is a lovely, lovely, lovely Twitter account run by one of our dear friends called at Real Pen Live. And what he does from this account, he or she, or he'll, they will remain anonymous, what they do from this account is they post real comments made on the Live website. They are absurd, they are ridiculous, and they are hilarious. So I guess a few years ago now, we deci- I decided to turn this into a game where I will read off eight different comments, and my contestants in this case will be Bill and Matt, will get the choice to either decide if this is a real comment that was posted by at RealPenLive, or if this is a comment that came from the inner the inner um, confinements of my mind, it, which is a dark place when it comes to this game.
0: I, I want to make sure I am uh, quoting this right, but uh, yeah, in the immortal words of uh, Patrick Starr, the inner machinations
1: of Nick's mind are an enigma. That's what I, I couldn't remember what... <laughs> the inner what's he talked? That's what I was th- picturing in my head, but I couldn't think of what he was going for there. And then the and then the glass of milk falls down with no the God. Matt, oh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you <laughs> don't know what we're talking about. Nick, to the game. Um, okay, so uh, since there's two of you, I will keep track here on my very um, official page of notes for this podcast. Okay, so the first and I'll, I'll some of these there are capitalizations and different punctuations, so I will do my best to read them the way they are. At the end, after you make your guesses and I reveal the answer, if there's any funny spelling things that go with any of them, I will reveal those as well because I cannot really articulate those. So the first one, App State won't be on the Lions' schedule for long. Their cream filling is hard and hard to crack. Ooh, that's a good
2: one. I'm going. I'm going real. I'm going real as well.
1: You are both correct. That yes. is a real, real comment. I <laughs> I don't know what it means, but but it's real. <laughs> that, yeah, I I can't interpret it for you, but it is indeed real. All right, well, can, can just
0: real quick. Uh, by chance, is, did they spell
1: cream like c r e e m at any point? This this one had all words spelled correctly. Ah, okay. No no That's punctuation of any kind. No Ooh. punctuation of any kind, though. Aside from apostrophe for won't. Yes, yes, uh, of
0: course there was.
1: No commas, nothing. Okay, number two. Still don't see Miles Sanders living up to his hype. Too much juking and jiving, and not enough putting his head down and getting what's there.
2: That's a good one.
1: I'm going false. I'm going real. That is a real comment. So Matt, (laughs) who's ahead? Now this one this one is made even better. I'm pretty sure f- I read that one on our Facebook page too. <laughs> this one is made even better by the fact that Jukin is spelled J O O K I Oh shut
2: up. Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> too much Jukin and Jivin. Um so, did they
2: spell Jivin right?
1: Uh J I V I N apostrophe. That's, that's disappointing. The, the, the
0: great thing about that is it implies that the person who spelled it, like, they believe that the word juke is spelled J-O-O-K, <laughs> which,
2: oh, gee. God,
0: we, we really, like, just need to have a massive, massive overhaul in how we, like, invest into education in America. But whatever. That's another podcast. Like, go ahead.
1: All right. Number three. Moorhead was the only reason this team could score. We should have hired him and fired Franklin.
2: Whoa, okay. I'm going fake.
1: I, I will also go fake. You are both correct. That is a fake comment. Right. As always, my fake comments are inspired by real comments. Um, there, were, there were separate comments in a row one talked about fire and Franklin and one talked about missing more heads. So I yes. figured it was a natural combination there. Yeah, I was so, going to say that felt... Bill, like, you were... Oh, I, I'm
0: down by one, but that did feel a little, like, too unhinged. Like, the implication there is that a pen live commenter can, like, string multiple thoughts together in one comment, which that's well, just not Well,
1: just, just, just you wait.
2: Nick, Nick, did you spell all the words right in your fake comment? I did. I did. Okay.
1: Uh, All right, so Matt's three for three, Bill's two for three. Number four, this may well be the most unprepared Penn State team for a home opener that I've seen in the last 30 years, and we know who that falls on. Real. Real. Both correct. Well done. I I think I saw that one. I think my favorite part about that is that Temple happened, what, three years ago? Home opener. (laughs) Home opener, Nick. Oh, uh, how, oh! See, I didn't even read that. How
2: soon they forget the Toledo game
1: of 2000
2: <laughs> and and the Miami game of 2001 and and a lot of other games that were also awful. Now,
0: correct me if I'm wrong. Now, I'm. I think I know the answer. But Alabama, when they came in 2011, that was the the second road game, home game. Correct? Yes. Okay. Because uh, I, I hope. If I ever meet this Penn Live commenter, which, you know, ward willing never happens, I will ask if they remember the 2011 Alabama game where Penn State used three timeouts on its
1: opening drive. But that's a field goal. Got a field goal. <laughs> <laughs> three timeouts for three points. It's only fair. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, uh, if you're going, if you're trying to use logic, Penn State should have called seven timeouts on that
1: drive. But Exactly. Not Alright, number five. Now I will tell you this one is written in all caps. <laughs> and I did, I did, I have in the past written real, written fake comments and real, com- well, the real comments I copy as is fake comments I have written in both caps and lowercase. I usually just enunciate it rather than actually tell you that, but I'll just tell you this time. Fire all the coaches! Bring back JPA to save the program!
2: False. There's no way that's real.
1: That is a real contest. no.
2: No, it is not. <laughs>
1: Nick, yes, Nick, it Nick, is.
2: Be Nick, be honest. You went on the pen live and posted that just to to
1: be. To... I did not, but I will embed this tweet on the post that posts this podcast on <laughs> Roar Lions Roar.
0: Yeah, drop this in Slack. I don't believe. Like even even if you show it to me, so, yeah, I I won't think it's real. So like it's a it's That's a fine.
1: Show, but... it, it it is very very real. Jesus Christ all right so matt you are four of five bill you are three of five number six i get the point you're proving by suspending Gibbons, but can't you just control the team to keep them from getting suspended at all jesus christ
0: i'm going
2: false
1: yeah i'm going fake too <sighs> man my fake ones are not great today yes you are both correct yeah, we that, that was, that was almost, I like the it first one. That was too over here. the top. Yeah, I, I, too I, I think too. two
0: over the top. Yeah, I think the thing that you're underestimating, Nick, is that everyone who comments on Pedalive is like one of those, like, what, one of those people who are very Christian, but also like very, 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 very um coded in their language to the point that they would never say Jesus Christ. I just haven't done this in a while. That's
1: right, the you problem. haven't.
0: It's okay, buddy. We, we're all working the rest it's... off. Number to, seven. Full
1: non-conference. Number seven. I'd rather hang out with Hillary than Cap. Uh,
2: Cap, Cap, Cap.
1: Of course.
2: I think that's fake. I'm going real.
1: That is a fake comment. There was there was one very similar to that. Somebody, somebody posted that they would rather hang out with OJ than Cap. That's
0: (laughs) oh, oh my sweet. I
2: I, I have an unfair advantage in this game because I love at real pen live and I'm... yeah
1: this you're not really supposed to this this typically we reserve this for people who don't regularly uh, read it so you man. do have a bit of an advantage
0: we need to like at, well we have to see if like we can get tie on for the recap pod on uh on sunday then you just give him all of these especially the oj simpson one we just did
1: well i can't we can't he listens to the pod i was right, just talking with him, him earlier today
0: uh, can you, then will you just like send all of these to Ty and have him guess and we'll read on the, uh, read, read how he ends up doing on the next edition of the pod.
1: We could, yeah, I can do that. Awesome. Also, he's he'll come on and help us with the pod at some point. Yeah, this season. we will. Um, okay. Number eight. So Matt, you have. Matt has it locked up. Matt has six of seven. Correct. Bill has four of seven. Number eight. Let's see if Matt can get to the, I think that would tie Matt for the. This that would tie Matt for the best score of all time for the real pen live game.
0: Yeah, it would be an
1: admirable performance. Yeah, but this is a good one. This is gonna be a tough one. Number eight, Nike shoes are garbage anyway. I've had the same pair of New Balances for years and are still going strong. <laughs> real, that's real. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I read that one earlier today no <laughs> see oh, you're ruining the game uh, <laughs> i don't care it's still worth it
0: <laughs> All right normally i do like a full sign off but i oh god i hate everyone so much uh yeah thanks for listening subscribe buy shirts read the site and if you comment on PenLive, just go outside like just turn your computer off Get some sunlight. If you do
1: comment though, make it a good one. Up here yeah. on the
0: show. Yeah, if you do comment, make it something that we can read on here. Uh yeah, thanks for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh for Nick Pollock and Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care everyone.